You're listening to a Sunday morning message by Authentic Church. Well, good morning. It's good to have you with us this morning as we continue our um, sermon series on the parables of Jesus. Um, Are any of you gardeners? I wonder if any of you have ever grown a plant which was supposed to bear fruit or flowers, but didn't. Um, We have a hydrangea in our garden, which comes up every single year, looks glossy and beautiful, but never, ever produces flowers. I thought this year was going to be the year because there were tiny little buds. I got very excited, and I'm not sure whether it was the weather or whether it was just because the hydrangea never flowers, but we still have yet to see flowers on that hydrangea. In contrast, in our garden, we have a multitude of snapdragons and penstemons that sow themselves around the place. They grow up in gravel, they grow up in cracks in the patio, they grow everywhere and it's such a delight to see them every year. We don't put them there, they put themselves there. They are fruitful every single year. And today we are thinking about being fruitful and the growing conditions that are required to allow us to do that. Nigel explained last week how Jesus taught in parables using everyday scenarios and images that were relevant and easily relatable in the culture of the time in order to teach important truths for then but also for now. And today we're looking at the parable of the sower, which is also sometimes referred to as the parable of the four soils. Jesus told this parable to illustrate the different reactions to the gospel message. And it's one of only a handful of parables that appear in all three synoptic gospels. That's Matthew, Mark and Luke. And Jesus didn't often explain the meaning of his parables, but for this one, he did. So we have his own interpretation of its meaning, which we'll look at as well. So I'm going to read for you. I'm going to be reading the version that's in Luke's gospel. And we'll find that in chapter 8 of Luke, starting at verse 4, the parable of the sower. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others... I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. 
Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So the parable of the sower is a story of a farmer who sows a lot of seed, but only some of the seed goes on to produce a crop or to bear fruit. Whilst these days farmers use machinery to plough fields and sow crops, before this, standard farming practice was to carry a bag of grain toss the seed in rows, either onto previously ploughed soil or onto soil that would then be ploughed. If you think about the traditional harvest hymn, which I'm sure we all know and love, we plough the fields and scatter the good seed on the land. That was written in 1782, reflecting the practice at the time. No combine harvesters around in those days. Clearly, scattering as a way of sowing seed is a bit haphazard. So not all the seed would go into the rows as intended. Some would end up elsewhere. Jesus tells us in verse 11 that the seed is the word of God, which is the truth. So who is the farmer in this parable? Well, Jesus is referring to himself. There's another parable that we see in Matthew, which is called the parable of the weeds, and it's very similar to this one. And Jesus says that the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. So he's referring to himself as the farmer, but he's also referring to everyone and anyone who preaches the gospel or tells others the good news of Jesus. So for me today, I am the farmer, and this is probably the closest I'll ever get to being a farmer. So let's think about the four different soils. Each of the soils represents a people group. So the first soil is the path. Verse 5, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and it was trampled on and the birds ate it up. And then he goes on to say that the first soil represents those who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The message version puts it rather lovely in in this way. When anyone hears news of the kingdom and doesn't take it in, it just remains on the surface. And so the evil one comes along and plucks it right out of that person's heart. In other translations of the Bible, they talk about the seed falling by the wayside or along the travelled path. Around where we live, we live um, surrounded by lots of fields, and around most of the fields is a stretch of, of land, maybe one or two metres wide, which is called the field margin, where people can walk in safety off the road. No crops grow there because of the footfall. Here's an interesting fact. The phrase fall by the wayside first appeared in around 1526, in William Tyndale's translation of the Bible for this very parable. And it means to stop doing something or to give up on it. So it's likely that Jesus is 
also referring to people whose hearts were hardened before even hearing the good news. So not only those who heard the good news and their hearts were hardened, but also those whose hearts were hardened before hearing the good news. In Matthew's version of this parable, Jesus quotes from Isaiah, saying, For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. I expect we can all think of people who refuse to listen to anything to do with Christianity, faith, or church. They think it's irrelevant, out of date, untrue, unnecessary. They dismiss it. They simply don't want to know. C.S. Lewis picks up on this in his fantastic little book, The Screwtape Letters, which if you haven't read it, I'd really um, recommend you do, which is a series of letters from a senior demon, Screwtape, to a junior demon. In one letter, Screwtape says... It is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. So with this first soil, the path, not only are the seeds on the path trampled underfoot, but also the devil, represented here by birds, snatches away the word from those whose hearts are hardened. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 4, verse 4, the God of this age, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the people in this group are also blinded to the good news of the gospel. They cannot hear it. But it's important to note here that while the devil contributes to their blindness, it is precipitated by their own hardness of heart. The second soil in this parable is the rocky ground. Some seed fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. And this second soil represents the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Becoming a Christian is exciting. The feelings of acceptance, being valued, belonging to a family, those feelings are tangible and real. And I've had the privilege to see these first steps into faith on several occasions. Unfortunately, what I've also witnessed is people falling at the first hurdle the first time life gets tough, when they face resistance from non-Christians, when God doesn't answer prayer in the way they expected or hoped, they give up and fall away. They thought that being a Christian meant an easy life. When following Jesus gets uncomfortable, inconvenient, discouraging, risky, they leave. They didn't sign up for hardship. Now, have you ever sown seeds indoors? I have tried this, sowing from scratch, ready to plant out in the summer. Get your propagator out inside, fill it with soil so it's nice and warm on the inside of the house. And there's generally lots of light. You put your propagator on a windowsill to give it the right conditions. But sometimes if it's too warm and too light, 
the seeds grow too quickly. This has happened to me several times, which is very frustrating. And they grow too quickly because the light is uneven and they get what's called leggy. So they get really long stems, but not enough leaves. And eventually they generally die because the roots haven't gone down as quickly as the stem has come up. And the roots cannot sustain the size of the seedling. This is like the people described in this soil, the rocky ground. They sprout up really quickly. They're very enthusiastic to start with. They come to church every Sunday. Maybe they join midweek groups. They serve in church. But actually their faith stays at a very superficial level. They're not grounded in the word. And therefore their roots of faith are weak and can't sustain them. So when trouble arises or when being a Christian takes too much effort, because they've not developed the perseverance and resilience it takes to commit to the walk of faith, they give up. With these people, things are good for a while, but because they've never truly considered God's word, they've never chewed on it, they've never really thought it through, they've kept it shallow, it eventually withers and dies. Here we see that initial joyful emotions without a strong foundation based upon the word will not enable us to stand against tribulation and persecution. So then we have the third soil, the thorns. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. And this third soil represents those who hear But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures and they do not mature. One of our primary aims as followers of Jesus is to become more like him, to mature spiritually. And we should be working towards this all the time. Jesus describes here three thorns that prevent us from maturing in our faith and lead to unfruitful Christian lives. And those thorns are worries, riches, and pleasure. Now, this is a tough group of people because on the face of it, this might seem like good soil because these people might go to church regularly for years. They might appear to be committed to following Jesus, but they are held back from maturing and leading fruitful lives. Maybe they go to church out of a sense of duty or habit, but they don't really want to get involved in the parts of Christianity which might require them to make sacrifices or change their attitudes or behaviour. Maybe they don't see that sin in their life is in contradiction to the teachings of Jesus and are therefore doing nothing to try and change it. So let's have a look briefly at those three thorns. The first thorn, worries. When we're worrying, we're not focused on Jesus. Instead, our minds are elsewhere. When we're worrying, we're saying, in effect, we don't trust God to to fulfill his promises to us. When we're worrying, we're making our worries bigger than God and allowing ourselves to be distracted from what's truly important. Jesus told his followers, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows what you need. 
But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What a wise man he was. Even 2,000 years ago, he recognized that worry achieves nothing. Corrie Ten Boom, who was a lady who helped Jews escape from the Nazis in the Second World War, put it this way, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Now, I'm not trying to discourage anyone who struggles with anxiety. Some of us need to get help with anxiety. Some of us need to take medicine for anxiety, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's not what I'm saying here. But some of us just need to realise that the cause of our anxiety isn't merely mental. It's a problem of our heart. Ray Ortland illustrates this reality with a profound image of our heart as a boardroom. This is what he says. Big table, leather chairs, coffee, bottled water, whiteboard. A committee sits around the table. There is the social self, the private self, the work self, the sexual self, the recreational self, the religious self, the childhood memory self, and others. The committee is arguing and debating and voting, constantly agitated, divided, upset. Rarely can the committee within come to a unanimous, wholehearted decision. One way we might falsely accept Jesus is just to invite him onto our committee. Give Jesus a seat at the table. Give him a vote too. Let him make his case and then the rest of us will decide for or against. But if this is how we accept Jesus, then he is just one influence among others, easily offset by the other voices which yell and demand and threaten. That's quite a powerful image, isn't it? Of Jesus being just one influence among others. My belief is that Jesus should be elevated above all else in our lives. The second thorn, riches. The danger of riches is described in 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So let's be clear, money itself is not evil. The worldly saying, money is the root of all evil, has got it wrong. Paul explains in this letter to Timothy that it's the love of money that's the problem, not the money itself. The trouble is, the more we have, the more we want. The love of money diverts our attention away from God as we focus on the next expensive item to spend our money on. Maybe getting caught up in some kind of status battle with those around us, that keeping up with the Joneses feeling of having needing the biggest house, the latest gadget, the most expensive car. 
Paul also warns us about feeling self-sufficient in our wealth, reminding us that God is our provider. Again, in this letter to Timothy, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And lastly, the third thorn, the pleasures of life. Well, this is a whole other sermon topic, so I'll be brief. This thorn sees people putting their own pleasure and wants above living a righteous life. The Bible has a lot to say about this topic, calling the two opposing lifestyles living by the flesh, that's the pleasure, and living by the spirit, that's the righteousness. Galatians 5 gives us an idea of what it means to live by the flesh. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is not an exhaustive list in Galatians, but you get the idea. Basically, it's about putting our own selfish desires above living the life to which Jesus calls us to, which is actually a life of selflessness, putting others before ourselves in everything we do. When we get caught up in the kinds of selfish behaviours and attitudes listed by Paul, we are diverted away from our Christian walk and therefore unable to mature. Paul goes on to warn us in Galatians 6, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. And in contrast to this self-indulgent, hedonistic lifestyle, we are called to a life that bears fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, which Paul tells us is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What a difference in those two lists. So finally, we get to the fourth soil, the good soil. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. This soil represents those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by perseverance produce a crop. I would love to be known as a person with a noble and good heart. Some translations have an honest and good heart. The people described here in this fourth soil have the right kind of heart. They are open to the word of God, sometimes referred to as people of peace. So not only do they hear the good news, but they understand it and allow it into their hearts. What they hear and understand changes them from the inside out, causing their behaviours and attitudes to change and their lives to be transformed. Note the important link between understanding 
and bearing fruit. The suggestion here is that you can't have one without the other. And in Colossians 1 verse 6, Paul affirms this point by saying, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and going throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Most importantly, the people in that this soil represents produce fruit because they are living godly, righteous, selfless lives. But notice also that this doesn't come easily because these people also demonstrate perseverance, which is such an important personal quality, but one gained usually at great personal cost. If you have learned perseverance or are learning it, you know what it is to suffer, to face disappointment, rejection, frustration, failure. I can personally very much relate to this as God has been teaching me perseverance in the toughest ways in recent years and I still have a lot to learn. The Christian life is not an easy one and yet if we can persevere with a good and noble heart, if we remain willing to listen and learn, we will bear fruit. So which soil are you? Are you like the path? You've heard the gospel of Christ and his kingdom, but you've hardened your heart and not allowed the truth of the gospel to become a reality in your life. Are you like the rocky ground? Maybe there was a time when you responded to the gospel, but you're not getting rooted in the faith. The likelihood is that you will fall away when faced with persecution or temptation. Are you like the thorns? You have responded to the gospel at some point, but, but have allowed yourself to become too preoccupied with worries, riches, and pleasures of this world. Your focus is not on Jesus, but on other things, and you will fail to bear fruit. John's gospel warns us that every branch that does not bear fruit will be cut off. Or are you like the good soil? You are a follower of Jesus and are demonstrating a willingness to listen and learn. You're cultivating a good and noble heart and you do this even when life is tough. You persevere through the storms and you are bearing good fruit. When Jesus finished telling his parable of the sower, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus makes it clear in his own explanation of this parable that not all those who have ears to hear really listen. If we want to mature in our faith, to bear fruit, to become more like Jesus, we need to keep listening to God's word on a Sunday, in church, but also in our own time, reading our Bibles, listening to podcasts, in fellowship with other Christians. However you do it, just do it. If we want to be like the good soil, we must remain teachable, willing to learn, and more importantly, willing to change if we see we've got it wrong. So I want to leave you with a challenge. This parable is relatively easy to understand as Jesus himself explains it for us. But how well have you listened to it today? And what do you need to do 
in response. Amen.